how nature, for example, you mentioned seashell, for example, and there is a lot of example of animals. They have this kind of toughness and tough structure so that they can resist damage or to protect themselves. If you could tell us more about the examples, how they managed to this evolution, how it happened, this creature can manage to have this kind of tougher material or structure to protect themselves. Okay, yeah, that's a great Firstly, that's a great yeah. question. Yeah, so the. Um, uh, first of all, the, I should say all these materials we've been looking at are they are they have a high content of mineral, which makes them stiff and hard. So you get the stiffness, the hardness. That's the easy part. Now, typically, when you make something uh, highly mineralized, uh, they tend to be more brittle. So that means they crack more easily. If you take a piece of skin, for example, or a piece of rubber, then it's uh, inherently a tough material because it, it deforms rather than, than fracturing. But then if you remove this kind of large deformation capability by putting a lot of minerals, then um, you get uh, brittleness usually. So the extreme example is glass, right? So glass is uh, it's pretty stiff, pretty hard, but then it doesn't resist uh, uh, crack propagation. So it's not a very tough material and then it's, it doesn't resist impact because of the same reason. So um, the secret really in nature, and that's, that's quite interesting that we found this kind of general rule that you can, you, you will find in seashells, in teeth, in bone, in fish scales, is that we have um, uh, uh, essentially building blocks, which are the mineral part of the, of the material. And these building blocks are joined by weak interfaces. Okay, so what by, when I say weak interfaces, these are kind of lines within the material or planes within the material where cracks can propagate more easily. Okay, um, and so that's very important because, um, so it's, first of all, it's a bit counterintuitive, right? Because we, nature makes actually better material by putting a lot of weak interfaces within the, within the material itself, which sounds counterintuitive, but in terms of crack propagation, it makes a lot of sense because with weak interface, you gain the capability to control where the crack is going within the material. So for example, you can, if a crack is propagating this way, because if you stress the material horizontally, let's say, the cracks will tend to propagate vertically, right? Across the direction of pulling. And then uh, uh, in a material like glass, the crack will go straight without any reason to deflect, okay? Now, if you put a weak interface across the crack propagation, if the interface is weak enough, then the, you may, convince the crack to deflect into this interface, right? Mm. Um, and so the, already you manage to control to some extent crack propagation. And so nature is really master as, at doing this by using all kinds of 2D and 3D intricate architectures and networks of this weak interface to actually deflect cracks or uh, divide crack into two sub cracks. Mm -hmm. or trigger all kinds of mechanisms. And so that's the, uh, if you, Really, if you look at how the bone or teeth or seashells or fish scale fractures, you will find that they, they, all these mechanisms are based on this idea of like hard building blocks joined by weak interface. Yeah, wonderful. Maybe I guess ask you about this kind of interplay between the hard interface and weak, weak ones. What kind of morphology do you think? Is it something do you believe that's how they represented or the way? Because when we see the examples, it's different. For example, you, you did the, the, the inspired glove that minimized the injury in, in workplace and based on facial skills. So how do you see this morphology play the role here? What's really other element you think 
it's still not answered. Maybe morphology, I don't know. What do you think about that? Right, yeah. So it's a very interesting question because um, uh, in nature and in the, the materials that we develop, there's no like one size fits all kind of design solution that will, <clears throat> that's kind of magical and will work for any kind of application. Okay, when, when we, what we find is that um, depending on whether you try to develop a material that resists uh, 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 cutting, for example, or, or sharp puncture, like a protective material, um, or maybe you want to, to develop a material that's very strong when you try to flex it, you will find that the type of architecture and this, that's perfect for each of these applications may be quite different, actually. Right, so this, this is very much uh, application dependent, and it depends on how you stress the, uh, how mm -hmm. you load the 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 the, the component uh, mechanically. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, that that being said, there are some um, kind of universal patterns that um, that are found um, in these natural materials, and one of them is the brick wall, essentially structure where you just like a brick wall. So you have the hard blocks are like the bricks. And then the weak interfaces are the, the mortar, essentially, of the bricks. Right? Yeah. The adhesives of the bricks. And then if you look, it's quite interesting because if you, <clears throat> if you look at, at, a, at, a, at a house, for example, so I spent, I spent about 13 years in Montreal, actually, before moving to Colorado. And there's a lot of uh, uh, old houses, brick uh, wall houses. And, um, and sometimes you can see cracks that propagate maybe from the corner of a window. And the crack is being deflected by the mortar, right? So we find this type of a lot of the same mechanics actually in brick wall. So this this structure of brick wall is actually you can find in the many seashells use that trick. So they make literally like two D or three D microscopic brick walls where you have some uh, mineral plates or tablets which are basically attached by uh, by proteins by by bioadhesives, and that's at the microscopic scale. In bone, if you, you you can you go down to the nanoscopic scale now, very small, and you're going to find the same kind of arc, the structure actually, some kind of nanoscopic tablets mm -hmm. of minerals that are arranged in almost like a brick wall, and uh, you also find this in teeth. We also find this in fish scales, and so a different length scale, but it seems to be an excellent recipe to make materials mm -hmm. that are uh, very strong, stiff, and also tough in tension. Right, yeah. and so it's it's quite fascinating to find that. Uh, uh, in materials that are taken from animals, which are completely different, right? On the evo yeah. evolutionary tree, there are totally different families of materials. You find that somehow nature converged to the same uh, general solution to 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 solve the similar mechanical yeah. problems. Right? Very fascinating. So I'm curious to ask you when you have this kind of you look to what already we have in nature and you try to design this kind of different category completely different material to make this desired goal either be tough, lighter, smart, as you mentioned, it depends. How you rearrange this material? I don't know. I don't know what's the strategy. Do you have to take exactly how already evolution designed this in a certain way? Or do you think you have to tweak it in a certain way? I don't know how this transition is going. It's kind of, of course, we speak about inspiration or just like but I'm curious in material design because is it the same arrangement? How you arrange them or how to do something different? Yeah, it's a, yeah. It's a great question. Yeah, it's a great question. So the, um, we, do, we do a lot of tweaking actually. We do even more than tweaking. The, the materials we make inspired from the seashell, for example, they look totally different. From, they don't look like a seashell at all actually. Mm. I would have to tell you this is inspired from 
seashells so you can right and uh, and show you how and uh, but it's not obvious right and so the the key idea is that um, we don't copy directly in nature we don't copy directly these uh, things these material these great materials we find in nature so that's why we use we prefer the term bioinspiration over terms like biomimetics or biomimicry which mm -hmm. imply that you simply copy what you see in nature right mm -hmm. and uh People have taken that route in the past, and sometimes it didn't end very well. I'm thinking of this uh, uh, engineer uh, uh, girl who, who Bonnie uh, was the name of the engineer. So he developed an airplane in the early 20th century, and he was convinced that the best way to make an airplane was simply to flap the wings, mm. right? But he didn't have. A, he was simply copying birds, but he didn't have a deep understanding of aerodynamics and so that ended up in a disaster he actually died in his plane basically it didn't work at all right so shallow copying of nature doesn't work it's not a good route a, a term we prefer is bioinspiration where we we really work hard the f in the first phase of the project as understanding the natural model so do a lot of mechanical tests mechanical modeling so we really understand what makes this natural material so good at what it does um, so we can abstract this key ID, or sometimes we have, sometimes it's only one ID, sometimes it's a combination of maybe two or three IDs into our engineering system, right? So um, I mentioned this general rule of using uh, hard bricks bonded by softer, weaker interfaces. And so we actually use this concept, this idea, for example, to develop, to develop bio-inspired glasses, right? So glass panels that have the same kind of architecture. So obviously the... The base material for the bricks is different, right? They're not, uh, it's not calcium carbonate, which is actually a pretty poor ceramic, but that's all the seashell gets from the, from the seawater, right? As engineers, we can use better base materials. And also we work at, uh, we don't work at the same length scale. So the bricks in the seashell may be microscopic in size. Our bricks are more in the millimeter in size. Um, so when you take all this into consideration, we, we, we kind of abstract the brick wall, we abstract the weak interface, but then the end uh, result is some kind of panel, glass panel, and it doesn't, doesn't look anything like a seashell, basically. Right? Mm. Okay. Great, great. So, yeah, I'm going to ask you in that case, do you think when we aspire to design tough material, do you think we can push the capabilities to have material with tougher properties, tough properties, I don't know, maybe beyond what we have in nature, and maybe never damaged. I don't know that's the dream everyone designs something very strong, never damaged. I don't know, do you think we can achieve that goal that have material never damaged? Or that doesn't make sense? Uh, um, yeah, so the, uh, yeah, so I think the, the this, I'm trying to, to think of where to start with the, to answer your question, but um, um, the, the idea of damage is a bit tricky because um, um, if you look in the recent history, for example, of how to make strong ceramics, okay, so ceramics are, it's a big area of research how to make, so ceramics, of course, they're very stiff, they're very, I'm talking about engineering ceramics, like, like boron carbide, aluminum oxide. Right. These are very stiff and, and very strong, but they, they, they tend to be brittle, right? And so they're very sensitive to, to damage, essentially. So if you have a little um, impact on the surface of a ceramic part, 
then you, you have to change the whole thing because that really decreases the strength. Just like on your windshield, if you have a little uh, you know, impact on your windshield, it's highly recommended that you fix it, either fix it or you change the windshield because the, the overall strength of your windshield is compromised by the presence of a small defect, right? So yeah. there's two routes to, to address this. And so historically in ceramics engineering, one way is to try to suppress the defects completely at the fabrication stage, which is quite expensive expensive to do another route that uh, uh, to me it's more a bit more interesting is to say okay there's going to be defects there's going to be either at the fabrication stage or when you use the component there's going to be defect now how can we put program some kind of mechanism within the material so that the cracks that we we'll want to grow from these defects will be neutralized okay mm -hmm. And so um, nature actually uses the second route because if you look at your bones, your teeth, seashells, that contains tons of defects. Actually, okay. So the idea is not so much to to prevent the formation of damage, which is extremely difficult. Damage or initial defects are already there, but how to 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 design your material, to create your material, so that uh, these defects don't compromise the overall performance of your component. Okay. Mm. Um, so that, I think that's the that's the vision there. Okay. Um, now, can we ever make a material that never breaks? I don't think this this will ever happen, right? All we can hope for is to increase mm -hmm. the the strength. But at the end, um, there's some limitation. If you if you take two atoms of uh, of material, right? You pull them. You look at the strength is extremely high, but you can never theoretically you can never exceed the the strength of yeah. the interatomic inter bond between two atoms, right? So there's only that far you can go with this. But uh, uh, yeah. I think there's there's still a lot of room for improvement, right? For many materials like glasses or ceramics, they make them stronger or or more uh, damage tolerant. Then there's uh, there's still a lot of work to do, and nature has still a lot to to teach us here in these areas. Mm -hmm. Great, yeah.